Hi, welcome back to part 2 of episode 89 where we dwelt into uh, 101 of neuroscience. A conversation in neuroscience is incomplete without a conversation about consciousness and the metaphysical aspect of our human experience. So we get into that. This is an exploratory conversation and this is an evolving space. So hopefully you enjoy it. you get a time to reflect on it and um, maybe if you see something yourself from your experience let us know share your experience below in the comment section let's dig in hey, welcome back we um we spent close to an hour talking about the substrate the physiology of the brain and uh, i thought uh, now let's spend some time around some you know more metaphysical uh concepts and ideas that have been uh, around in the world and how they are kind of intersecting with what neuroscience is finding so for example let me start with consciousness you know what is consciousness there is a view that's out there on the philosoph- in the you know the the metaphysical spiritual side of things um i want you to throw some light on what how you look at it from a neuroscience perspective and then maybe we'll just kind of converge it with what you're also seeing on the metaphysical side sure sure okay we dove in head first i guess <laughs> into <laughs> it's a more complex issues um Okay, what is consciousness, man? Um is something beyond the material realm. I think that the origin of it I I personally ascribe to the 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 model that's provided in Hinduism uh in in seeing consciousness as a um a a derivative of the spirit. And the reason I say that is because I've approached I spent all my life studying neuroscience and it has been really difficult virtually impossible for me to put my finger on any part of the physical substrate that mm. will comprise consciousness and and i think the easiest sort of example i can give is, is that when i was in the cadaver lab the there was a dead body there mm. um you know one moment there's somebody alive and another moment there's somebody dead mm. almost in a sort of fraction of a second and sometimes for reasons that we have no idea night actually most of the cases when people pass we don't we don't know what mm-hmm. causes random things to stop you know there's there's changes once you say okay well it's a change of biochemical events that then circuses it to change i mean i was like okay we're just using complex words to explain really nothing mm-hmm. um there's co- there's complex biochemical changes that's happening in our body right now but why are we not dying mm-hmm. um and so there's a sort of experiential part of consciousness that's very hard to define and i think that the only model that really provides an answer as to why instead of how see science i think provides a lot of answers for how things may happen mm-hmm. but doesn't really provide for why it may exist you really have to turn to more spiritual uh, uh answers and so i believe that we are a spirit and that the spirit is experiencing certain things and that's what really gives us this this ability to experience um everything that we are able to 
to experience. Uh, beyond that, it's hard for me to define <laughs> at this stage. So let, let's uh, <clears throat> let's uh, zoom in uh, from a neuroscience. Point sure, sure, sure. So, you know, I'm I, I'm in the tech industry, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll kind of correlate to uh, what's going on in artificial intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what are we doing in artificial intelligence? We are actually replicating what you d- you've been describing on how the brain works mm-hmm. in a silicon substrate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, same thing. There is there is a neural network. There are uh, you know uh, silicon. There are nodes in these in the substrate. Mm-hmm. And they're being trained to talk to each other. Nowhere near the complexity that a human brain is where today. Mm-hmm. But the thinking is that in the next 30, 40, 50 years, mm-hmm. uh, the same level of complexity will get uh, created on a silicon substrate. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what I want to come back to is from a science, from a science point of view, when you say consciousness, is, it, is consciousness just electrical... Your connections, I mean, uh, or or like uh, I know you're saying that from a spiritual perspective, but yeah, yeah, but but yeah. how do you how do you know that in the sense, um, what if it is just a bunch of electrical connections that you call as consciousness when it's yeah. on, you're conscious, if it's off, you're not conscious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that. Well, I think there was a couple experiments done in neuroscience. I, I can't remember the exact name, but I can get to the reference form later. But a very interesting set of experiments done uh, on humans where they were doing actually deep brain stimulation studies for, uh, for human patients. Hmm. And the idea of these uh, study, uh, the idea of these, these surgeries were actually to relieve symptoms of Parkinsonian symptoms and um, the idea was that, you know, to keep them from flailing their, their arms and, and legs and whatnot. So they would go in there and they would, they would basically uh, electrically ablate, like they would remove certain cell populations and hopefully relieve that, that sort of, um, uh, those sort of symptoms. And so they were doing that on one patient and, you know, um, they were asking a series of, usually when they do these kinds of surgeries, the person's still awake. Um, because they mm. want to make sure that removing core components of their brain, actually our brain doesn't have any uh, actual physical brain. If you touch it, it doesn't have any, you can't feel anything because you don't have the senses to feel anything there. Mm. Right. So if you touch the brain, you won't feel anything. Obviously that the layers are scalp and stuff. It has a lot of neurons, but if you go and touch our physical mush, nothing there. I mean, trying to feel anything. So ask you a series like, Hey, can you like, are you still awake? Yeah. Are you still, can you move your right hand? I'll move right hand. Can you move your right leg, move right leg. And then he, the, the neurosurgeon basically, uh, uh, stimulates a certain part. And then he says, uh, he says, you know, he simulates it and it's like his right hand moves. And the patient asked him like, did you move your right hand? And he was like, no, you move my right hand. And so he moves his right leg and he's like, okay, he stimulates his right leg is moved, and then the neurosurgeon asks the patient, "Did you move your right leg?" He said, "No." And then he, the patient replies, "No, you move my right leg." And so mm-hmm. there's this dissociation that emerges from that, this idea of like, who are we? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oftentimes, how do we tease apart? Are we just electrical s- signals, or are we uh, something 
something different from that is that mm. there's oftentimes a dissociation between our physical body and and uh, who we are. We can. It's hard to answer from the brain's perspective, but if we were to chop each part of our body off and leave with, with just like a stump, we would still mm. be the same person. Um, and you can even remove certain parts of the brain and yes, parts of the personality change, but, uh, you will find that I think there are certain core components of somebody's persona who are still there. Um, and mm -hmm. the way that I've always seen it is that I, I believe that the, that the brain is just, it's a computer. Like we kind of discussed this before that it's a map for us to have our experiences. Mm -hmm. And this is impossible to prove. And I guess if we were to prove this, you know, I would go, I think it would, the, the consequences would go beyond a Nobel prize. Mm. But I mean, uh, it's very hard to, to decipher. One thing I wanted to quickly note is, is that even if in machine learning, we were able to create a system that we can perfectly recreate this aspect we call consciousness, mm. um, you know, some people are like, okay, then we've proved that uh, we can recreate consciousness. It, that that indeed the these nodes and interconnections are the source of sort of our our core being. But I would posit a different model, wherein I think that in creating such a synthetic system, we actually allow we, we've then created a vessel. I think we've created a vessel for for something higher to actually take form into that that being. Um, so for example, but the thing is that it's going to be a very jarring experience, I think, for that spirit soul, because all of a sudden you've created this nidus and all of a sudden it, it takes form. Whereas if you think about humans, we go through this, I think this is why the, 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 the idea of human birth and, and childhood mm -hmm. is so important because we're brought into this life in this sort of very cherishing and loving. And even if a child is brought up with a lot of trauma, there's still a level of care that's associated with, mm -hmm. with rearing this conscious, this, this being into the world. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that in the future, when we create, create artificial intelligence systems where like we're able to, where consciousness inhabits that form in, in a, you know, in a heartbeat, uh, is going, I believe that it's actually a real consciousness. It could be a spirit soul, but it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's inhabiting it right now and right then and there. And it's going to be an arguably difficult, uh, uh you know, transition, if you will. Uh, but we'll see. Well, I'll, yeah. So there's also <clears throat> the other aspect of um, the sense of self, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so there is. So uh, from what I've read and heard, so there is one level of consciousness where you're looking at just a pure idea that something is aware of its existence, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. can experience something. Can ex like, what's the difference between a rock and uh, a tree, you know, a tree, let's say a tree has a certain level of uh, experiencing, taking some stimuli and responding to it. So it's, it's alive. So there is some level of uh, consciousness in its cells mm -hmm. versus a rock, which is not conscious at all. So that's mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. level mm -hmm. of differentiation we can talk about, right? At a mm -hmm. level of life. Mm -hmm. The other is a sense of self. So the idea that I am aware of my myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's another, you know, view of consciousness of self-awareness. So, in the area of AI, mm -hmm. um, you know, there there are things like Turing test and stuff like that, where 
people are saying that in the future, the AI algorithms are going to be able to continue to learn and learn and at some point be self-generative. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is that are you just that additional memory that's been put on the substrate? And if you took that away, mm-hmm. those patterns away, then are you still there? I mean, these are questions that are getting yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> debated yeah. as you speak on the AI space because yeah. are you just a pattern? You know, if if uh, if I if my pattern is taken out, I'm, am I mm-hmm. still me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sorry, finish. We want to finish what you were going to say. Yeah. You know, so I, I was uh, uh, thinking about uh, what where is neuroscience mm-hmm. uh, about some of these um, ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the neuroscience just look at, uh, you know, the brain and say, hey, these are the bunch of electrical patterns that are there. So that's you. But we don't know what's beyond that. We, You know, it, it, it's beyond the scope of neuroscience or is neuroscience beginning to say there's something more to it than just those patterns uh, in, in, in someone's, uh, con- you know. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said in the beginning of the last talk, that neuroscience does take a relatively reductionist approach in the sense that, like, if you ask a very, like, fundamental neuroscientist, they would say that we are only, like, we. So it all depends on what you describe as us. So I think we're trying to, the question that you're asking is, like, like, uh, I guess, I guess what we're trying to say is, like, what is consciousness? And, and that's exactly, it's really hard to define is that, that neuroscience would say that uh, you as uh, as like uh, or me as Srinath and you as Santosh uh, are a, indeed a series of, of interconnections between different nodes uh, in our brain. So yes, theoretically that, you know, and, and there's been many proofs for this. Like I said, if we remove certain parts of the brain or if we stimulate certain parts of the brain, we can you know, remove certain parts of someone's identity or someone's memory, and then we can put it back, especially in animal models, and, and recreate that. Um, and arguably, you can then, you know, take this set of information, map it onto a, a biosynthetic platform, and, and recreate this. So using those kinds of evidence, one could argue that. But I think that if you start to see things a little differently, I, I so what if you what if you define the self as the sort of electricity that passes through your neurons? What if mm. you are not the actual neurons themselves, but themselves, but you're the energy that that mm. that sort of permeates through the system? You know, because it's not just this idea of me talking to you and stuff like that. We know that in the laws of thermodynamics is that energy and matter can't be created or destroyed. It's just transformed. So what if we define we in a little bit more abstract sense as to you and I, Mm. because these kinds of things we are able to see, we're able to create form uh, out of virtually nothing. How are humans born? How are we brought into this thing from a single cell? So single cells operate in this way. They don't have the super complex construct of nodes and internodes and uh, you know whatever yet that's exactly where we come from two cells um mm. and so and then we then you know once we pass we we go back into this earth and we then constitute you know uh you know we we constitute the material which makes this form and then that gets taken up by a different form of life like a tree 
a tree then dies and then we constitute this whole planet, you know? So like, I think that the question is we have to really define what we is. And if we, if we kind of limit it and this is a neuroscience perspective, then yeah, neuroscientists will tell you that it's limited to this brain, this thing called like, you know, this, yeah. this architecture, this neural architecture. But if you start to step away and look back, are we the magnetic fields? Are we electricity? Are we, uh, the, the experience itself? Are we the experience itself? Like forget about mm. remove anything that we can measure. Um, and what is that? Because I think those are the kinds of questions that neuroscience cannot answer because neuroscience by definition is not that. Yeah. So, um, I think limiting yourself to that, to that definition is, is dangerous, particularly within, like I said, things like psychology and psychiatry where, where we try to mm -hmm. throw drugs and we try to throw sort of interventions and we try to reduce the experiences, uh, human experiences to, to just plain brain activity. Um, when we really don't know what the cause of someone's real problem is. Mm. Um, for example, like if someone's having problems at home uh, with, with their personal or their significant other, and they come into the clinic and we find out that they're depressed, the problem isn't that there's something's wrong with their brain, there's something's wrong at home. It's a human experience. Mm. It has nothing to do with the brain. Um, obviously, there's other instances where somebody may have uh, you know, some, something intrinsically different about their brain. And this is some of the challenges that we face in, in, in neuropsychiatry. Um, but those are just a couple of topics I want to touch on. I don't know if that, that kind of made sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think you touched the, you touched the chord, right? Uh, when you said, uh, the distinction between, are we the neurons or are we the energy that powers the neurons is, I think that's, I think that sums up that the way the world of neuroscience and where the metaphysical probably separates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, kind of making it re real and practical in day-to-day -day life, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this podcast is about uh, endurance and running and fitness and also bridging the, uh, you know, the bridging the realms of the physical and the metaphysical. So the question is, for example, if you want to go uh, and mount, climb Mount Everest, just mm -hmm. as a, uh, and you've never done it before. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no past memory of you having done Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. Yes, you commit to it uh, and mm -hmm. train. That's so you're training yourself, so that's fine. But what? Who is making that first commitment right. of something that's never been done before? Like never, never, ever. I've I've gone to a mountain or maybe swimming in the ocean. Never run. Never swam in my life before. Who mm -hmm. or what is? committing or saying, suggesting that go and experience the water. Exactly. Uh, and I think that's the realm of energy. And because it was not done before, it doesn't come from a past history of uh, having swam in the waters all the time, nothing like that, right? Absolutely. So that's the realm of energy. And so that's fascinating. I think that's where you hit the nail. And in my last podcast, I had a, um, a, a cardiologist, a doctor, he's also an energy medicine, uh, mm -hmm. you know, energy healer. Mm -hmm. So he was talking about how uh, health is, you know, you, you need to deal, look at health from a multimodal perspective. And one of them is energy balance. Mm -hmm. So if, if, you are, if you are not well, um, then energy is out of balance. And then so you do different things to bring energy back. Uh, or even things like Reiki, where you're healing people remotely through energy. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So I think what you said is uh, perfect. You know, it 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 just nailed. It just very nicely right. creates that separation of where uh, you know uh, something like neuroscience ends and where metaphysical starts. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the funny thing is that I think that um, a lot of scientists they have trained so hard in their entire lives. Um, and because of their training and their sort of limited exposure, they think they've been exposed to so many things, but it's only within the context of their, within, you know, mm. that realm, the scientific method in that box. I've created a testable hypothesis test and you figure it out. That's something that I realized. I thought, oh, I've done so much neuroscience. I've done X, Y, Z. But I realized there's so much evidence also mm. for something beyond. You know, science has been... a a very like it's been drastically changing day in and day out. But what they've been saying in the, the Shastras and Upanishads and even in the Abrahamic faiths and uh, have actually been very constant. I mean, they've been saying the same thing over and over again, day in and day out. And I think that that I use actually the scientific method, uh, a part of the scientific method in my spiritual experience. So in, in when I do conduct experiments, we, uh, we run multiple conditions and uh, there's a lot of error, but mm. there's also truth. There's also something which remains at the very end. Mm. And so that is what we report because we have to do multiple experiments. I can't just run one experiment and say, okay, I found the truth. It meets a statistical significance. Boom, I publish it. You have to run multiple experiments. The same thing that I do with spirituality. I take lessons and I even test in my own life and other people's lives. And there's always a distillate at the very end, mm. um, something that remains constant across different messages. And those are the kinds of things that, that I really hold myself to. And things like the idea of spirit, things like the idea of, of death and rebirth, um, things like the idea of a, a universal God always emerge in everything that, you know, that we hear about in the sort of metaphysical realm. Um, yeah. And there's lots of evidence to support it. Unfortunately, they're not in peer-reviewed articles uh, that's easily accessible to everybody. But I think it's getting there. Man, I tell you, you have... Uh, I, I mean, right now I'm experiencing a, uh, a high. Uh, just, <laughs> just, no, seriously. I'm, I'm just... Man, that is, that is amazing. Just differentiating that one, dif that one thing you said that are we the neurons or are the are we the energy that's firing the neurons that that is an amazing uh, perspective that is is opening up a whole possibility and thought processes here because if i think of um, even what is spirit you know you can't describe what if i just say the spirit is the energy uh -huh. it makes sense exactly you know, because we even speak of spirit very in abstract manner what is spirit you can't touch it, you can't show it, but you can touch energy. You can feel energy. Uh -huh. You can constitute yourself as energy. Right. That makes sense. You know, like, I don't feel like, um, or we coming back to another conversation we had about love. Uh -huh. Energy. Exactly. You know, it, it, it makes perfect sense. And, and, the, and the universe is uh, what? Uh, at least in the physicists have described it as nothing but energy. Exactly. In different frequencies, and so what you are saying is is uh, I, I love that. I just love that. It's making a lot of sense. To I me. mean, Newton and his colleagues described matter and energy what in like 
I forgot the exact time, but it was recently. Hinduism described Prakriti and Purusha, basically yeah. matter and energy. I mean, who knows how long ago? Yeah. Um, and we've re- we've it's been repeatedly been saying that you know we are the sort of union between Prakriti and yeah. Purusha. You see this in so many facets of Hinduism that I think, and that's the problem. I think religion is a good guiding post, but people get so focused on religion and miss the obvious messages that are sitting right there. A linga yeah, because, is a union uh, of two things. Because Hinduism is not a religion. Right, right. Right. I uh, mean, even in, yeah, even all religions, even even Christianity yeah. and stuff like that, right? Uh, it's just that, like, that uh, they basically said that the matter is is, is lifeless without the energy that, that impregnates yeah. it. And it's really hard to, I think, practically convert that. But I think things like neuroscience have given me an avenue to understand mm. that. Mm. Um, and given things like physics um, and stuff like that have really given me a, uh, a, a sort of perspective to see that and, and, and broaden our, our way in how we define these things. Because conceptually, yeah. you're, you know, it could mean anything. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. In terms of practical use of this insight right mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it really boils down to uh, empowerment mm-hmm. uh, to me it boils down to empowerment mm-hmm. that you're not um, you're not what you wound up as you're not just your memory that you have been accumulating for the last uh, 10 20 30 years because mm-hmm. of your circumstances mm-hmm. you are pure energy and you can create new memory right now at this very moment mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. the power of your existence and that's what's uh, you know for me most powerful yes 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 and you know in a way that we are actually completely in control of our own I'm sorry we actually are completely in control of um, our own experiences because like i said with mm-hmm. neuroplasticity um, you know well, I just said that it's subject to change. And what did I I said that uh, the, you know, the electrical and chemical signals, which, you know, the energy with really, which really connects both of those uh, allows things to be formed or, or unformed. And yeah. so, um, you know, in a way, there's this beautiful construct of biology, which, which allows us to be in perfect control of what we actually mm. want to experience. And we think that we are only restricted and, and limited and whatnot, but we're really not. And when we get to a point where we're too confined and we can't further change, at least we have an escape in death. And I, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily see death as a bad thing. I see it as a, yeah. as a transformation. Um, yeah. It's the, the, so, it's a, it's a, it's the energy release for the energy. It's the, uh, it's a release for the energy that now can go figure out another substrate. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. This substrate is limiting. Okay. Find another one. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. That's an amazing. And I mean, also, like you know, when you're talking about like who is the one making the decision to climb mm. climb Mount Everest and things, kinds of things. Uh, it's also, I mean, like oftentimes we're able to push way beyond what some yeah. people, some evolutionary, some evolutionists take the approach that, oh, why do we do certain things because they reduce it to an evolutionary phenomenon? Like, mm. for example, why do we want to procreate? Why do we? Why do we believe in God? Why? Do, they kind of reduce it to the fact that we want to reproduce. Uh, we use uh, God as a means to connect with our peers. Like it's like a sort of pack, you know, uh, mindset. Um, but why it still fails to understand the que- answer the question? Why is it that 
beyond any reason of any sort of rationale, we're not having any pleasant experience climbing. You know, sometimes it's just crazy. You yeah. know, we're like putting ourselves through hell and back, yet we still feel like we have to do something. Yeah. Um, these kinds of questions are very difficult to to address in the sort of plain, uh, mundane view of the world, I think. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree with you. And uh, I think it makes it simple when you're able to articulate it in, in this fashion because most rational people can understand that difference that, okay, if I'm the physical substrate, I'm the neuron, there is energy being coming from somewhere. It's not coming from within, it's coming from without. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that energy is a different domain versus mm-hmm. the substrate that runs underneath. Mm-hmm. So that, Here's that, another, yeah. It's another, another thought experiment that I kind of posed to myself a little while ago. The idea of thermodynamics it has to related to the idea of thermodynamics and it comes back to the idea of energy. And so we're all taught in physics class very early on that, uh, that you know, obviously energy can be neither created nor destroyed, but also things move, move towards entropy, that things always move mm. towards disorder, right? We always move towards disorder. Um, but the brain is the exact, and, and, but the things that, so the, so the way that, okay, so the way that things can, can, can oppose entropy is through only one way is through information. There has to be a template. Mm. So if you want to go against disorder or chaos, there has to be a reason to go against it, which mm. one could call information or reason or cause or whatever. So how can we create order from non-order? That's the fun, that's one of the fundamental questions that we've always answered. How can a brain, mm. how can our human brain, uh, which is a set box of, you know, it has so much order to it, our human physiology. Um, there's a lot of order. How can it have started from nothing mm-hmm. or complete chaos? Because it wouldn't follow the law of entropy that way, right? So then again, it kind of made me think about the idea that maybe there is some order that we're not able to quite understand. Maybe there's things that don't fall into the clear-cut boundaries of, of, of start and end, that's another mm. thing which is really hard for our minds to really understand um, is yeah. that we have to, I mean, as much as I want to think that I understand timelessness, I just can't, like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know, mm. I've accepted that for a long time. I thought I understood timelessness, but I don't <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense to me, but it can exist. Right. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, while, when you're, while you're talking about chaos mm-hmm. and order, um, I mean, if you from from what I have read and heard, uh, there is chaos at the subatomic level, right? There is a constant churn. There's constant movement of uh, atoms and new, you know, protons and electrons, and it's constantly. But it does. But at, at, at this level, at, at this macro view, it looks like it's all in order. Mm-hmm. But underneath. It's mm-hmm. chaotic, right? Even at the cellular level, right now, mm-hmm. as we speak, mm-hmm. as you and I are speaking, our bodies are right now inside going through all kind of chaos. Exactly. And there is a, a higher order pattern that probably we are able to see. So uh, I'm also thinking that if you're ready to look at the universe, and um, and maybe this is a bit woo-woo here, and we at our level don't see that chaos and the order at that level. So there is a higher order, higher level order at the universal level, and there is chaos happening at our level, and that can be only visible at that level. Just like 
we see order at our level and we don't see all the subatomic chaos that's i don't exactly, know i'm just just uh, that is exactly how, here, but that's exactly how i see it that's exactly how i see it and that's exactly how it's been proposed in so many different world religions if you if you think about it uh there's a connection there is a link between every spatial and temporal scale of life that we could talk about. What do I mean by that? I'm not going to stop this. I'm not going to start at the subatomic level because I don't really know the physics behind mm. it. But at each stage, there's a very fine connection between all of it. So we start at the cellular mm. level, right? There's thousands of cells. And I'm sorry, not thousands of cells. Say billions of cells mm. in our human body, and they're all doing different things. But there's only one cell in mm. your body that gets the opportunity to be translated into a human. Mm. That cell then gets transferred and, you know, it then again merges with the other cell which from their side, then, you know, merges and then, you know, flash forward and it becomes a human. Right now, humans, as humans, we think we're the end all be all like it, it, not end all be all, whatever, but we, you know, we ascribe like it's a lot of conflict, you know, what meaning, who are we, what are we doing? What's our purpose, et cetera, et cetera. But you're absolutely right. We have, you know, we are actually, if we take, just take, take a step back, we're a part of this earth. We're mm -hmm. one of a hundred subcomponents that constitute this thing we call earth. And this is exactly how Hinduism actually describes uh, this model. They just, they mm -hmm. ascribe, uh, personalities to planets, mm. right? As consciousnesses. So mm. then we start to zoom out further and further. So, you know, humans constitute a community, communities con constitute countries, countries constitute continents, continents constitute uh, uh, this thing we call the world. You know, then there's a planet, and then there's there's then that has its own consciousness, and then the or solar system has its own consciousness. The galaxy has its own consciousness. And there's layers upon layers upon layers. We even see this reemerge idea of relativity that, that the different consciousness experienced time and space in different ways. We're talking about Brahmaloka. Uh, a one day in Brahma is supposed to be something in order of 200 million human years or something like that, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, Hinduism, again, describing uh, special relativity far before Einstein ever described it. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, if we zoom yeah. out far enough, you're left with this basically the singular consciousness mm. with this seemingly chaotic sub sub constitution, but each one with impregnated with this unbelievable meaning. Mm. And so I think that, <laughs> I mean, I think we went a little, little far into the weeds here, but I mean, I, that's kind of the way that, that I see the world. And I think that's kind of how you were describing it. Yeah. Um, what does this mean for us practically? I think for me, it's just, it gives me solace. It just, you just, you just, mm -hmm. you just go about your duty. Yeah. Like sometimes I think it's so easy to get lost in the struggle of everyday mm -hmm. life. Um, and, and some, certain people look at it as annihilism. It's like, oh, why does it then matter of anything? It still matters that you do what you need to do because you may be that one cell that moves on and it, you will mm -hmm. be, eventually you will be that then it moves forward. You know, it's just a matter of when you'll get there when, when, and how you'll be ready for it. Uh, it may take us, you know, a thousand life cycles, a million life cycles, a billion life cycles, but we'll eventually get there just like that one cell did. Cause it, because it took us that much time to get here. Hmm. You realize that like it took us that much time to get here. We will make it there as well. Um, and so it's just having that patience. 
is is I think the most important thing. So so when you say get there, where are, what are you referring to? So maybe even just this this trans like migrate into those different spatial scales I was referring mm. to. Maybe we will become a planet one day. Mm. Right? But how do we do that? We have to die multiple times. We become a part of the earth and the earth kind of, you know, you know, to really fully take form as a planet, uh, you know, we talk, we have in, in our, in our religion, we have astrology and these planets are, are ascribed personalities very, with very detailed descriptions of what they do and who they are and what they act, yeah. how they interact with each other, these yeah. kinds of things. Right. And, and based on their, uh, sort of activities that informs us right? yeah so you can again you can equate that to how we inform how cells interact in our bodies um we feel a certain way we can inform neuronal populations we can inform the, the health of certain cells for us and things like that and if they if certain cells don't do their duty and they persist um to don't do what they do they can become cancerous they can become yeah. pathological they can disrupt the whole system that only makes the whole situation even more difficult to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to be cancerous cells. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, um, I do want to, in my view, and uh, not that it's a semantics, you know, we keep using religion. I think, uh, you know, none of what you're sharing, uh, according to me, is just Indian thought. It's just a generic right. Indian thought. We never... Uh, categorized it as a religion, quote-unquote religion. Uh, it was a part of uh, the scientific thought in Indian civilization. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, you know, there were different schools of thought. There was different, you know, thinkers. You know, there was also uh, a section of uh, the Indian thought that was materialistic, purely materialistic. Absolutely. I think it's called the Karvaka, Charvaka. Okay, yeah. Right? Uh, and, and there are also... Um, on a lighter vein, completely joking, um, uh, but there are some lighter uh, vein comments about if uh, that uh, school of thought had won, we would uh, have developed the atomic bomb and not the West, <laughs> because we we went down the path of spirit and metaphysics and you know lost the war uh, battle on the materialist on the physical side. But jokes aside, the point being, a lot of this is uh, you know uh, ancient science or ancient thought that's there and. You know, sometimes uh, talking to you, who's a modern-day scientist, uh, who's trying to get that perspective, is, is is very welcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, like the sum of it is, without getting too far into the weeds, I'll just give you a personal perspective because I've really been trying to understand who I am and what we're doing, and and I just I feel like the brain isn't the only answer. Mm. It allows us. It links us to this world, allows us to interact with this world. Yeah. But I, at this point, I would, I would, I wouldn't venture to say that we are our brains. We are our nervous system. Yeah. We are a central nervous system because I just, you know, for all the reasons that I've given before, and you know, there's, uh, I think, yeah. a, a whole laundry list. For last one and a half hours, you kind of spent talking about that, um, but. There's a lot more. There's a lot more complexity to it. You lose a lot of the meaning. It just doesn't really make sense. A mm. lot of Christians will use this term in the sense that I have more evidence to believe that mm. we are not just that. It's not an absolute. It's more. Do I have more evidence or I have less evidence? Mm. At this point, I have more evidence to suggest that we are something more than just our brains. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks, Ree. I will uh, let you go and uh, enjoy the rest of the afternoon, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you.